But how was your week? Before we get to that, did y'all have a busy week? A lot going on? Did anyone not have a busy week? Say, man, that was just the easiest week ever. All right, Alexis, there's the door. There you go. Now, the rest of us are envious. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Some of us even had plans that we had made, and they fell through, or they changed, or there's ups and downs with, with house and life and work and, and pets and everything. So much to do. So much on our minds. We even had dinner with a couple last night. We were talking about priorities and, and balancing things and time management. It, it does not come easy, does it? Because everything is urgent. If you were to pull up your phone right now, and sometimes I gotta, I gotta pull out <laughs> this book right here because I'm not gonna get a notification flashed in my face. Urgent, yeah, I gotta reply to this email right now. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm off in a million places. But just talking about our weekly maintenance, take care of the house, car, groceries, the bills you gotta pay, that grass that needs mowing, once again, if it's not twice a week, it's, you know, every five days to keep it down. And I haven't even mentioned the hobbies that we're trying to keep up with, right? So when we talk about our spiritual lives, that's one more cog that needs to be thrown into the busyness, right? It's one more thing we're trying to balance and prioritize. And this morning, I want us to hear from Jesus to speak through the busyness and the craziness of this life. To say, here are my final words to you, my commands to you. These are your marching orders. This is how we prioritize our life around what is called the Great Commission. The Great Command given, well, the Great Command is love God with your whole heart and love your neighbors yourself. But the Great Commission flows out of that command. That love that goes towards others. So I want you to join me in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. So the final words that Jesus speaks to his disciples before he ascends, literally takes an invisible elevator up to heaven. Just kidding, he's Jesus, he doesn't need an elevator. He just <laughs> decides he's going to rise through the clouds, and he does. That's who he is, that's what he does. So Matthew 28, and I'm going to read verses 16 to 20, because I think it's important for us to get the context a little bit for what's going on here. The verses will be up on the screen. If you need them. Matthew is the first gospel, first book in the New Testament. If that helps you find your way. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Okay, the, the, the lush green region surrounding the Sea of Galilee, where they followed Jesus and ministered with him for years, leading up to his crucifixion. Now they're back there. They went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, all that I have commanded you. And look, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And there's a point I want us to consider today. You just heard the word of the Lord. It's all the word of the Lord, not just the red letters. But specifically, what is Jesus telling us to do? The main point today from the Lord, the Great Commission is the most important calling on our lives. Yes, we are commanded to love God with our whole heart and love our neighbors as ourselves. 
But the calling, what does God call us to do with that love? What does that look like? What does it look like to make Jesus look awesome and beautiful because that's who he is? It's to make disciples. It's to tell people about him. It's to spread his glory and his good news around the world. First of all, why? Because the risen Lord commands us. If the risen Lord commands us, that changes things, doesn't it? So if you've got a stack of priorities to work through today, if I were to call you on the phone and you're working on something, like you're pretty intense up to your elbows working on a project, you're probably not going to answer the phone right away. Let's just be honest, okay? And that's okay. I'm okay with that. All right, if you take care of your family, if you're working on a project at home, something demands your immediate attention, that's okay, right? Because there's a priority there. I can call Pastor Josh back later. I don't think it's a 911 call. You know, if, if it was, he'd be calling 911. So I'll get back to him. And, you know, if your parent called or your child called, okay, maybe there's a slightly, slightly higher priority. I might pick up the phone then. If not, then, you know, maybe... What if the President of the United States called you? You see, uh, President Joe Biden wants to FaceTime with you. Would you probably take that call, you know, and, you know, regardless of who the President, right? right? This, is, this is the office of the United, President of the United States. And, and you answer that call, and he says, I've got a mission for you, right? I need your help figuring out the situation in Ukraine. Like, I don't know anything about the situation in Ukraine, but he says, America is depending on you. We need your help. I need you as an advisor on our council. Okay. You know, that's that's different than Pastor Josh calling and say, hey, can you, you know, can you pick up some batteries on the way to church today? Like the level of importance just shot through the roof. Why? Because the president of the United States represents the people of the United States of America in that office. So whether you voted for him or not, he represents America when he speaks. And if he calls you and says, I got a mission for you, we the people have empowered that process where that adds importance to the mission. But Jesus, where does his importance come from? Do we all take a vote? Hey, I think Jesus is important. Y'all agree? Should we follow this guy? Oh, no. <clears throat> It's not because we took a vote. I mean, just look back earlier in chapter 28. Here's the things that happened when he rose from the dead, right? There's an earthquake. Literally, the earth moves. An angel of God. Actually, there's, there's at least two angels from, you look at the different gospel accounts. Matthew mentions the one who rolled the stone back. So you've got heavenly messengers. You've got earthquakes. The angel has the appearance of lightning. We saw a lightning strike last night at our dinner table, Ryan and I, who was sitting next to me, and it lit up the sky I'm like, whoa, that, that was powerful. So imagine an angel standing right here that looks like a lightning strike all the time. It, it would blow us away. We would fall down, we'd cover our eyes, it's so bright, so powerful. That's just the angel. That's not even Jesus himself. He's the messenger. The guards became like dead men. The angel tells the ladies who came to the tomb, expecting to find the corpse, no, no, no. He has risen just as he said. What kind of person can say, I will rise from the dead? 
I, you, you can't see here, there's, there's something under construction back here. The school has put together this haunted hallway. You know, so you've got these skeletons and these creepy things. You've got these gravestones and, you know, that just fascinates us, right? We're fascinated with death and creepy things and, you know, the ghosts of uh, Christmas past, present, and future. There's nothing creepy about it. Jesus says, I conquer the grave. I'm going to die so that I can redeem you from your sins and, and cover the law. So now anyone who puts his faith in me will live again because I am the resurrection and the life. He's risen just as he said. And now go and meet him. And then Jesus meets them in verse 9. He's really alive. He says, hey, you know, don't clutch me. I know you guys want to hold on to me forever. Go to Galilee. I'm going to meet you there. I've got a mission for you. So if we look at the big picture of the Bible, what has gone on here? Why is the cross and the empty grave such a big deal? I'm going to read to you Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11. This is big picture of what's going on. What has Jesus done, and why now he has authority over all nations? Who, though he was in the form of God, okay, so Son of God, fully God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, that's our triune God. Though he's in the form of God, the essence of God, he did not count equality with God the Father, a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. What form of a servant did he take? Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because Jesus did all that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, even under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our Savior. This is our King. Because he stooped down and served, and even beyond that, gave up his life in the most horrible, painful way. The agonizing death on the cross, nailed to it, crown of thorns, mocked and jeered by the crowds, even mocked by the guys being, being crucified on either side of him. And worse than that, he took God's wrath for sin. So you and I wouldn't have to literally stepped in our place. We deserve the cross. He stepped in. He bore it all. Took all of God's wrath. Absolved it. Died. And then rose from the dead. So from here on out, Jesus served and died. Now he's risen. He ascended to heaven. He's reigning. He's on the throne. God has always ruled over all things. But when the Son of God took on a human nature, human nature is just like us. He had to learn how to write his name. He had to learn how to tie his sandals, if that even was a thing back then. He had to learn how to work and, and talk. and He was human just like we were. So this is Jesus, fully God and fully man, who rose from the dead and is he in heaven. So now you literally, there is a human on the throne of God. And it's Jesus. Fully God, fully man. So he understands everything that we've gone through. 
And he went through it worse. He subjected himself to worse punishment, worse hatred, worse rejection, so that he could redeem us. So he says, now, all authority has been given to me. I hold the keys to death and hell and heaven because I'm the one that ripped the grave wide open. Who else is going to hold the keys? This is our king. So, therefore, we go. When you get to verse 19, in the ESV, it puts go first. I like to switch that because as you look at the Greek, therefore is, is the conjoiner there. Verse 18, Jesus tells us who he is. Verse 19, therefore, go. And a lot of churches, they will put as their mission statement, the Great Commission, this command of Christ, and they'll start at verse 19. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's great. That's biblical, but you're missing the reason there's a therefore. So this is a Bible study tip for y'all. As you're trying to read the Bible, if you come across a therefore, look back a verse or two to figure out what it's there for. Okay? I was taught that in youth group, and you know, it never, it never left me. All right? So what is it there for? Okay? Therefore, go. Why is it a great commission? It's great because of the one who's sending us. Look at our king. He's risen. He's ready. He took my sins away. My life is bound up with him. His kingdom is coming. His kingdom changed my heart. So the kingdom seed is in my heart. Jesus isn't interested in building big cathedrals right now. He's not interested in, in, uh, in building Notre Dame or things like that, although they're works of beauty. That's not God's kingdom. And God's kingdom isn't in money. God's kingdom isn't in a particular location, even Jerusalem. I've been there. You know, the holy city. That's not where God's Holy Spirit dwells. Where does this Holy Spirit dwell? It's in his people. We demonstrate the kingdom of God, the values of God, the love of God. And I can't help but imagine when the disciples are sitting at his feet and Jesus is holding out his hands and he's pointing saying, Go, go, go to all the nations, make disciples. What can they see in his hands as he's pointing? You think that doesn't change you? When you see your Savior who went through it all for you, you can literally see the scars in his hands for what he did for you. Because yes, even though he's in his glorified, risen body, he chose to continue to bear those scars for us as a reminder of what he's done. And these scarred hands that did everything to show the love of God to a dying world, that is the same compassion, the same love, the same grace that compels the people of God to get off of our seats and move. Because people out there need to know how much God loves them. They need to know what this Savior has done. So we go. We care. We open up our mouths to share the good news. And here's the amazing truth. Verse 20, he says, I am with you. My Holy Spirit, it's even better for you that the Holy Spirit comes than for me to stick around physically. Why? Because I need to be on the throne directing all of this. The Holy Spirit is inside of you giving you the power. That's where your power comes from. From me, on high. I'm going to clothe you with the Holy Spirit. And we're never going to be apart. I'm always going to be with you. Because how many of us would say, why did God call me to be part of this mission? I'm a failure. I'm a screw-up. How many times have I been discouraged or lonely or afraid, even this past week? 
And that's why I started us in verse 16. Look at verse 17. Those disciples are doubting. They literally saw Jesus alive after he rose from the dead, and they're still doubting. So do you think God has grace towards us who have doubts, and we struggle, and we worry, and we sin? I will never leave you. I am with you to the end of the age, because God's mission continues in us. He's working on our lives. We might be imperfect disciples, but he's building a masterpiece in our lives. And he works through us to share the good news and advance the kingdom to others. There's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace for us. Here's another reason this is the greatest calling on our lives. Secondly, our generation needs to know the king. Our generation. Jesus gave this great commission 2,000 years ago. But Peter, James, and John are not around anymore. That calling continues through those of us who are in Christ. We are his followers because we have given our lives to him. We give everything to him. So who are gonna, who's going to tell the neighbors of North Sarasota, of Bradenton, Palmetto, of Florida, or beyond, the good news about Jesus? Lacey and I got to go to a church planner's retreat. Uh, church planners and spouses, which she's a church planner too. You just don't often hear the, the pastor's wife being referred to as church planner, but she is. And, uh, and you all, if you're part of our team, you are a church planner as well. This is a team effort. But we met a pastor over there who led somebody to faith in Jesus who now lives over here. And we're able to make a connection there because God is working. This generation needs the king, but somebody can't come to faith in Jesus unless someone leads them by the hand, metaphorically, and says, let me introduce you to my Jesus. you got to mean it for yourself. You can't take the pastor's word for it. You can't take somebody else's word for it. You can't take Peter and James's word for it, unless, of course, you're talking the inspired word of God. You have to make Jesus for yourself. And our generation needs him. They will die and perish and spend eternity in judgment apart from his loving presence. If they do not hear and respond to the gospel, this is the good news. This is it. And as Lacey and I are sitting in one of these sessions, and they're talking to us about church planting, right? Church planting, church planting. Church. This is a big deal. This is important. Establishing churches that are preaching the gospel in areas that were previously not reached or, or did not have a church there proclaiming the gospel. But you know what the, the president of Send Network asked us? What's our highest priority? our highest priority what are we aiming for and the answer is not church planting the church is not the goal the church is the means to the goal the kingdom of god is our prize and our aim and our goal so what we do here how we live out during the week what jesus teaches us and what the spirit moves within us that is how we advance the kingdom before a lost and dying world that needs Jesus. They need to see Jesus in you and in me. We can't keep this light inside. We talked about this the other week. Let your light so shine before men. So why are we planting Living Hope Church? It's not so we can pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, look, we got a church going. It's so that this generation and the next generation and the generation after that can find hope in Jesus because someone from this church has shown them the way. It's not about us. 
It's not about us now, and it's not about us in the future. We're all going to die one day. And if Jesus doesn't come back, who's going to pick up the baton and take the gospel to the next generation? Our generation needs this. So if we're going to say, if Jesus tells us to make disciples, what does that mean? So making a disciple that's helping someone meet, or if they've already met Jesus, help meet Jesus, help follow him. And we teach them what the word of God says, because this is, these are the teachings of Jesus. This is the whole counsel of the word of God. That's why we preach the word. That's why we sing the word. That's why we pray the word. Thank you, Pastor Dennis. That's why right now our little ones are hearing a Bible story and a Bible lesson. And during the week, we cling to the word and we share it with others. We, that's what a disciple is, a follower of Jesus. That's why our mission statement. We want to be fully devoted to Jesus ourselves. We'll be true followers in our heart and in our life. But we also understand that living out our faith means we make Christ followers. We lead other people to the feet of Jesus. Now let me tell you what making a disciple does not mean. You ready? Because this is kind of, I don't, I don't think it's an American thing. I think it's just, you know, this generation, kind of, kind of how we do things is, this does not mean go find somebody, invite them to church where the pastor can preach a message that hopefully stirs their hearts. Maybe they get saved. And then that's all we got to do. All we got to do is take a flyer back there, invite somebody to church. Hey, job complete. Oh, no. Oh, no. That is one way to start helping make a disciple. But making a disciple means I realize my calling is just as important as the pastor's. This word is for all of us. This commission is for all of us. We all take the good news wherever we are. At work, to the mechanic to your barista, to the kids in the high school, to, to your family members at home, you are called to make disciples, leading people to Jesus through evangelism, sharing the gospel, actually opening our mouths and sharing, okay, God created us, but man sinned and broke his law, and there's a punishment for that. We are judged through that, but, but Jesus stepped in to take that judgment for us on the cross. If you just repent and believe in him, you'll be, you'll be saved. We brought into God's family. You'll have eternal life. We actually share the good news. And then, Lord willing, we see people come to faith in Christ because God's word actually works. Amen? Amen. It does. Prayers get answered. So then what? Well, then, you know, we'll, we'll see in, th in, the, in the third point kind of what the disciples' pathway is. But do you see it's not just lead them to Jesus and then my job is complete. It's a journey. Just like you guys are not done pursuing Jesus, I hope. Who's going to help that person take their next step? It's going to take all of us together. <clears throat> Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. So first, those who are here, this generation, those in your home, if my kids were the only kids in this church, thankfully they're not, and by God's grace we're going to see more come in, but even if my kids were the only kids in this church, children's ministry is worth having. Resources for parents are worth having because my kids' souls matter just as much as any one of yours. So we make disciples starting at home. There's no reason we should be going home living a different life than what we claim to believe and we're leading this generation astray rather than leading them towards Jesus. We make disciples starting with those right in front of us, those right next to us, those at small group on Thursday night. We also have that upcoming serve day. 
October 29th. So the, the short-term vision is, hey, we're helping set up for an event. We're handing out candy to kids. The world does that. It's called trick-or-treating. You can worship Satan and give out candy to kids. You know, that's no big deal. But why do we do it? So that we can show them the genuine love of Jesus with a smile on our face. We get to know their names. We get to know what, you know, what can we do to help you or your family help this school. And hopefully, Lord willing, we'll get some contacts, some people we can follow up with to see where are you at in your spiritual journey. How do we help you take the next step? That's why we do what we do. Even a fun outreach like Fall Festival, it's to make disciples. Now, we also make disciples of those who are far away. Jesus says all nations. So that doesn't, that doesn't mean, okay, Ireland and Scotland and India. He's not talking about countries. That word nations, ethne, means people groups. So people groups have their different cultures can, different languages for sure, different modes of dress, different areas of where they live. So even if the gospel reaches one part of India, we don't say, hey, mission accomplished. We made a disciple in India. We can wash our hands. We can move on to another country. Oh, no. Because there's over a billion people in India. And you wouldn't believe how many different people groups there are in that nation alone. So many hard to reach in the mountains. Northwest India is drastically different from Southeast India. Southeast India, more civilized, you know, they're, they're more opening of other opinions and beliefs. You get to Northwest India, they might kill you if you preach the gospel there. There are 17,428 people groups in the world. Do you want to know how many still do not know about Jesus? 7,000. 417. We're just over halfway there. And this area, you know they need Jesus. This is considered a reached area because they have us and they have others who are preaching the gospel. But there's 7,417 people groups that do not have, what does unreached mean? It means they lack enough followers of Christ and resources to even evangelize their own people. So people groups like the Kurds in Turkey or the Thai, or the Burmese in Myanmar, or the Gujar in India. These people don't have Jesus. So what can we do about that? Is God calling me to pack up, move to India? Maybe. Maybe. And if not, he's certainly calling us to pray. He's certainly calling us as a church to be faithful where we're at and be looking for opportunities to go. It could be a short-term mission trip. It could be uh, writing letters of encouragement to some of our Southern Baptist missionaries that are over there in the International Mission Board. We're, we're, we're taking offerings for our church, and a portion of that is going towards the cooperative program that equips missionaries and mobilizes them and gets the gospel out in all corners of the earth. What can we do? Well, sitting here and doing nothing is not the answer. So we pray. We give. We prioritize. And Lord willing, as our church grows, we will actually send out missionaries to take the gospel to the corners of the earth. Because God will get the final say. Revelation 5 tells us that Jesus was worthy to take the scroll. Why? Because he was slain. And by his blood, he ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
And what did he do? He made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And we will reign on the earth. This is the kingdom building work that God's doing. Do we believe that he's doing that right now in this generation? He wants to do that through us. Here's the third and final thing. We're continuing Jesus' ministry. Why is this such an important calling? Because we're literally the incarnate, that means in human flesh, we are the ministry of Jesus. His spirit works through us. What a privilege. What a calling. Because if you look at it, what, I mean, Jesus publicly ministered for three years, and then he died, and he rose from the dead, and he went back to heaven. That's it. I know a lot of people have ministered a whole lot longer than that. No, that's not the point. We are continuing Jesus' ministry. We are making disciples, just like Jesus brought people to himself. Our risen Savior now tells us to go. So, like I said before, that's sharing the gospel with our words, with our life. So we don't want any sin in our life that's going to compete with the message that we proclaim, right? And if we need help with that, there's grace for that. We all do. We all fall short. We all have missed opportunities to share Christ this past week, myself included. So God, give us some more grace. We confess that. We repent. Help us to be renewed. We also baptize. So you'll see the order in Scripture. Is baptism a big deal? I don't know. It's in Jesus' great commission. You tell me if baptism is an important part of our discipleship journey. Because if you ask the average American, if you ask the average Christian, they're going to emphasize, well, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. You can go to heaven and not be baptized. Okay, that's true. But is that what Jesus says in his commission? Baptism means something. Not for salvation. Not to get more favor with God. Hear me correctly. But what did Jesus say? Make disciples, right? Evangelize and baptize them. But it's not for my sake. It's not in my name. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a once-for-all public declaration. My life is in Jesus. You look at the book of Acts, the apostles heard this commission. Thousands of people come to faith in Jesus. What's the next thing they do? They get in that water and they get dunked. And they declare to the world, we're not, just, we're not just Jews anymore. We have a Jewish heritage. We're from a Jewish people group. But our identity now is with Jesus. It's like the wedding ring on the hand. Right? This isn't marriage. But it lets you know that I'm off the market. <laughs> not, not looking for ladies. I found the one who my soul loves. That's what baptism is. So baptism is an important part. If you have not been baptized, we get the joy of helping you take that step. Let's go. Let's plan it. We'll go over to Coquina Beach, just like we do with my son. We'll, pl we'll play the next baptism, and our church needs to be there to celebrate and, 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 and rejoice in what God is doing. Then what after baptism? Baptism is not the finish line. It's the starting line. What else has Jesus said? What else has he commanded us to do? Love one another? Gather for worship, serve one another, teach our children the way to follow God. That's just the start of all the commands. But it's not like a law-keeping command. This is our love for Jesus, our adoration for him, leads us to cling to his word. And if we're not careful, guys, we can get it backwards as to what we're supposed to be doing. We think, hey, I need to... 
provide for my family. I need to have my job nailed down. I need to have the house taken care of. I need to have the grass cut. I need to help President Biden with that important mission. Because I, I know, I know he's in your missed calls. We'll call him back later, right? Yeah, we have all those priorities. And then with all the leftover time we have, I might make some disciples. Jesus says, this is first and foremost. If I gave my life for this, to bring lost people to God and help them grow in me, can you improve on that mission anymore? Can you show Jesus any more beautiful than by telling who he is and what he's done for you? So living hope, let's keep our priorities clear today. Even if you said our desire is to plant a church, I'm going to tell you that's backwards. First, we want to engage a lost city with the love of Jesus. Then we make disciples for those who are willing to hear the word and follow along with us and respond to that. And then what's the result of that? We plant a church. Actually, Jesus says, I will build my church. He's done a pretty good job of it so far. He'll continue to do that. But will we be obedient to take the good news to all people everywhere? Let's be that kind of church where the Great Commission is our heartbeat because it comes from the very heart of God himself to love all people and to give his life as a ransom for many.